Hey everybody, welcome back to the Philcraft Survival Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by BlackRifleCoffee.com. Hey, me and Evan, the original founder and owner of Black Rifle Coffee Company now. Um, I remember he started out as a small business. He was always a connoisseur, a good tactician, good soft operator, and now one of the biggest coffee companies in the world. Black Rifle Coffee Company is strategic partners with Philcraft Survival, and uh, we love announcing that. Uh, make sure you guys go to blackrifflecoffee.com and use Philcraft 20 to save 20% at checkout. That's one of our biggest discounts from coffee to apparel to gear, uh, everything you need. In fact, uh, what I like about Black Rifle Coffee uh, more than anything is their support and advocacy for veterans, law enforcement, uh, and the list goes on. They were just at the Best Ranger competition supporting them, and they have a Thin Blue Line uh, special edition coffee on the front page of blackrifflecoffee.com. Um, I'm a big fan of their MCT and ghee. I'm a keto guy, so I like that coffee in the morning to kickstart my day. Uh, but make sure you go to blackriflecoffee.com and use Philcraft20 on checkout. Also, this podcast is brought to you by killcliff.com. Uh, I used to be an advocate for uh, energy drinks back in the day because I know it increases uh, your heart rate through caffeine. Uh, but there's so many energy, energy drinks that are bad for you. Um, I'm a big fan of the new energy drinks that are out. Um, from Kill Cliff that include natural flavors for performance energy blends. Whether it's Ignite, Endure, or Recovery, uh, you can get the full spectrum of a workout. Ignite to kickstart your workout, Endure to sustain your endurance, and Recover, uh, which is filled with vitamins in order to help you post-workout. Um, I like that Blackberry Lemonade is one of my favorites. Also, uh, they have a mission. Their mission is to support uh, the Navy SEAL Foundation. Founded by a Navy SEAL, they also provide... Um, and give back profits and proceeds to uh, the Navy SEAL Foundation, which supports veterans, active duty, and their families from the Navy SEAL community. Uh, make sure you check out killcliff.com. Also, this podcast is brought to you by triarchsystems.com. Uh, when I was in 19th Group in Special Forces as a Reserve uh, Guard Team Sergeant, um, I always heard of these guys in the background. Uh, they're from Texas. They do great builds on custom pistols, carbines, rifles, they have the Triarch Rifle, the Triarch Glocks, the Triarch 1911S, and the Triarch Tri-11S series. And not only they're just building them and they look amazing, they're also built for utility and function, also durability. I've been running their Custom 17 Charlie forever now, have thousands of rounds through it. That's actually my primary weapon system when I teach instruction in pistol. And also they're working on building me a custom carbine and maybe a Chris Vector uh, that 9 mil subgun, uh, which I'm completely stoked about. Make sure you guys check out Triarch Systems and use Philcraft on checkout to save. Hey, this episode, we got to catch up with Mike Pfeiffer of Last Line of Defense uh, at Overland Expo. If you guys aren't tracking at Philcraft Mobility on our Instagram, make sure you go check it out and give us a follow. It's at Philcraft Mobility. But if you don't know who Mike Pfeiffer is from Last Line of Defense, Mike Pfeiffer lives the lifestyle, whether it's everyday carry, preparedness, or his Overland Rig, which is a uh, really tricked out, a really form-built, functioned, uh, functional uh, Tacoma. Uh, his vehicle was one of the uh, my favorite vehicles at Overland Expo, and we had the opportunity to put it in our booth. And so we got to do a walk around with Recoil TV, which I'll announce soon. Also, he did a vi video with me talking about security and campsites. But that night, that evening, after a long, long, long day, we have the opportunity to talk about the apocalypse, the end of days, whether you believe it's uh, social discourse and discontent, 
um, and chaos, uh, whether or it's AI, you know, artificial intelligence uh, taking over the human race. It was fun to talk about and cool to work through different uh, solutions for all these problems that we identified. Uh, we might have sound like we were droning at, at times, but that's, that's just working through sleep uh, deprivation. That's really cool conversation. Make sure you check out Mike Pfeiffer, Last Line of Defense, and uh, we'll kick it off. Thanks, guys. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Philcraft Survival Podcast. I am at Overland Expo 2019, and um, I'm in a taco, in a garage, in an Airbnb with Mike Pfeiffer. Welcome, Mike Pfeiffer. Thank you for having me on the show. We're kind of making a thing of doing podcasts in cars, I think. I think it's romantic. <laughs> I think that's how it should be done. I don't mind. We're here nice and close. We're going to have some good conversations tonight, I think, if I recall correctly what we're talking about. Apocalypse. The end of the world. End of the world. Yeah. Well, well, let's talk about Overland Expo. Are you having fun? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about where we're at. Yeah, it's it's a good time. It's my first time I've been able to make it out here. A lot of, lot of fun people, a lot of rad companies I've had the opportunity to connect with. So, been having a great time. How about you? Dude, I love it, man. It's uh, I'm a big fan of the community, and it seems like the Overland Expo has a... I, I was afraid because I know it... It didn't get bought. It got bought out, and I know it was like a bigger company that bought it, so I was afraid there was going to be some issues, but I know that the couple who owned it, everything seemed to work out because they were consulting, and it's run smoothly so far. It's actually a lot better than it was last year, and dude, I love it, man. I've had like meeting new companies, doing podcasts. I mean, honestly, it's like my favorite part of the year. I hope to go to the East Coast version as well because... The West Coast, you know, you had to wait a whole year until you get the opportunity to do the, the next go around. But it was awesome. Yeah, it's been good. Really, really good, positive vibes with mm-hmm. the community. Uh, kind of reminds me. I go to you know various trade shows or events or whatever, uh, and it kind of reminds me a little bit about the NRA show. Like it's a lot of customers, a lot of end users, a lot of just normal people walking around that are just excited about the industry and excited about the culture and excited to you know probably meet guys like you and me and the companies and the names behind the companies so just really a rad time to to kind of connect with normal people i guess yeah well it's cool is i, I was seeing people coming up to you i'm like hey where's have you seen mike pfeiffer and last on of defense i'm kind of looking for him i'm like what, you're not looking for me <laughs> oh yeah well mike and it's 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 so cool to see that like it's at an Overland show, and you it's almost like a testament to the validity in you influencing a demographic that pays attention to things in the Overland space, and then they're looking for you just to find you. Some, some dude tagged me on Instagram uh, later this afternoon and said, hey, I ran into Mike and Mike, got a picture. I don't even know who he is, but he's, he's got a patch, and he was super pumped. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, that's awesome, man. That's what it's all about. I think that's, it's really cool. That's nice, yeah. And it's, you know, the, the Overland community is an exploding, kind of an exploding community. Mm-hmm. And I'm relatively new on the scene, not that I'm new to off-roading or camping or anything, but like in the social media scene. And it was kind of wild to walk around and, yeah, be kind of a, a recognizable face in the industry, even though there's all these other guys have been doing it, you know, that I look up to and respect that I've been kind of looking up to for years. So just, you know, it's a fun, fun time to be here. I was lucky enough kind of last minute to, Mike was like, hey, you want to pull the truck up in the Fieldcraft booth and hang out? And I was like, sounds rad. And so I had that opportunity to kind of hang out with my boys. At, I, I feel at like we need to do that next year as well. That'd yeah, be cool. I think we should. Yeah, I think it'd be awesome. Uh, you know, we we highlighted it 
um, today, uh, our first mobility training. I mean, we've done mobility training on Fieldcraft Survival, but on fieldcraftmobility.com, um, it's our first uh, training course that's going to be a one-day um, mobility training course called MTC that's available July 13th in Prescott, Arizona. And so our big thing is, you know, people recognize this obviously from Fieldcraft Survival, but we don't, I, I don't want to diversify too much, but the purpose of that is there's a lot of people who don't like guns. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like people don't like guns. There's some people, like I, even today talking about gun stuff, I had people walk out when I started talking about guns. Yeah. And so it, the bottom line, that's how it is. And so in defense, you know, obviously when defending your life, there's a, a firearm is part of that uh, formula. But when it comes to mobility and survival and first aid, you don't have to be gun-centric. We don't have to be. So we have that opportunity for people to come out. And it's not all about guns and tactics. It's more about the overland experience and then training. And so what was cool was to see that, you know, even putting your vehicle in the booth, they recognize you because that's your expertise. Like being a consultant for the end user and then uh, the conduit between companies and then end users. That's yeah. a big deal. And it's, I mean, it's its a really interesting space to be kind of, uh, there's not a whole lot of people that are kind of doing the overland thing who also kind of have a defensive mindset, a defensive focus. Uh, so I'm obviously largely into firearms, self-defense, preparedness, being able to defend yourself and those that you love. Uh, it's kind of, you know, one of the fundamental things of my life. Mm -hmm. And carrying that over into the overland space, I'm getting a lot of exposure to people that are new to the outdoors, new to camping, new to off-roading, new to trucks. And all of those people aren't looking for gun content, but mm. I'm introducing it to them in a casual way. I'll, I'll bring it up here and there. I'll mm -hmm. say in just a, a completely unrelated to guns video, like I always carry my Glock 19 and blah, 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 blah. So it's kind of like an ease of somebody who's maybe shied away from guns or knows nothing about guns, kind of like, oh, well, there's this guy that I like that does adventure videos, and he doesn't seem crazy, and mm -hmm. he carries a gun, and he puts high priority on self-defense. Uh, so it's kind of a, a unique space to be able to introduce a lot of people that either know nothing about guns or mm -hmm. haven't historically had an interest in guns to guns and kind of that mindset and that lifestyle so you're kind of positioned in a similar space where you obviously do firearms chaining you obviously believe in preparedness mm -hmm. uh but you're here kind of at overland expo mm -hmm. getting you know front and center with a bunch of people that aren't necessarily into guns so yeah. it's kind of a it's a really cool opportunity yeah and it is opportunity and that's the best way to look at because the alternative is you can just try to cram it down their throats and then turn them away. And yeah. then they'll never be interested in it again. And I hate to say it, but I mean, the reality is firearms are a divisive, uh, you know, element in our political system and our government and our society. Um, and there's, there's a way, um, and I've always believed this as a mission statement for a company, a way to articulate that and educate people without turning them off. And the reality is I, I don't want the alternative. I want to be able to condition people and show them the benefit or value in defending yourself with a firearm and because there is value there. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right, man. I, I'm super stoked with this. The weather was shit day yeah. one, man. That was insane. Even to, It was bad. Even today it got a little windy, and I was like, oh, there's moments, but it, at least we had the sun. And then tomorrow it's supposed to be crappy, windy all morning, and then rain, which is complete opposite of last year. Last year was super hot and no rain, and now, you know, we're, we're, we're sitting on a... Uh, 
another cold front moving through, but uh, all in all, good time, man. Um, what's your favorite rig? Do you see any rigs that you get that you like that were your favorite? Oh man, yeah, I, I don't have a, a favorite necessarily, but for I guess the more realistic rigs, I always love the old Defenders and mm, I love those. and seeing some of the Troopies and the old mm. Land Cruisers. Those are those are really rad. And there's a few new like Wrangler and Gladiator builds that are pretty cool. And then I uh, I went over to the Earth Roamer booth and just had a big tour of one of those Earth Roamers, which are which are awesome, but you know, out of mine and most people's price range. But yeah, I don't know if there's a favorite. How about you? Yeah, like like you. I think I saw the Gladiator too, the same one, the tan one with that had the bar, mm -hmm. the web bar at the, the back of it. I actually saw that YouTube video. Some guys did a walk around on it. It actually was a really good uh, walk around. Uh, but I'm the same way, man. I, I just sold my 77 Land Cruiser um, Series 3, and that's one of my favorite uh, Land Cruisers. But also, um, I'm a big fan of the Defender uh, models, Defender 110, Defender 90. So I saw a couple of them that were my favorite. I, I actually didn't get a lot of time to uh, do much um, during the, I mean, I've been around with 511 and Recoil TV. Yeah, you were zooming around, man. Dude, nonstop. You were zooming around. It was around. insane. Uh, but this, or tomorrow, will be the opportunity to get around. Um, before I forget, big shout out to um, to Recoil TV, uh, to 511 who hosted um, some of the training to Expo for allowing me to train, and also to... Um, uh, the guys at Boss Strombox, uh, Rome America, which is the rental company that's actually getting my Forerunner uh, to rent. Um, it's an overland rental company, and all the partners like CBI, great companies, Falcon Tires, that we've worked with uh, at Overland Expo. Yeah, I actually had a good opportunity to meet a lot of those guys. Just solid guys. I was actually hanging out with the Boss Strongbox guys right before coming here, so having some drinks with them water of course before i drive and then yeah it was just it was great to connect with them and they had great things to say about you so awesome awesome yeah i got a meeting with them in the morning but you know um oh man when it comes to the end of times um i i, I think i did a pot i don't know if i did a podcast on it i surely talked about it but i was coming up with like a five-step process of how quickly things could deteriorate and I kind of want to get your feedback on uh, a lot of these these things and how uh, you think about it, especially when uh, uh, looking at preparedness. Um, you know, there's several factors for the end of times or the end of the world in this this manifestation of this like cyclic cycle, vicious cycle of things compounding themselves and getting worse. And it's you could see it in countries. Um, I mean, I could think of Mali and Yemen, which had you know political strife, and then now it's a humanitarian crisis, and other countries have to support it. But when you look at our country, with Canada and obviously Mexico, we're not going to have the most support in the world when it comes to you know, America's support, you know. And so, yeah. um, when you think about end of times, what are some things that you would think about? as being like a start point for that or a catalyst for the end of times? Oh, man, this, this is going to be another tough one where there's so many different scenarios that could happen. I'm involved with a lot of different different groups. I have, you know, some prepper friends, some three-letter agency friends. I have a lot of some religious-type friends. Mm. And then, you know, just your general survivalist-type guys. So, man, I like recent, recently I've been into um, a little bit AI, yeah, artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, the 
I mean, computers are a part of everyone's life. Everyone has a smartphone. Electric cars are taking the mm-hmm. stage. Everyone has smart home appliances. There's just there's a lot of there's a lot of technological power out there. And you think of obviously your mind wanders towards things like Terminator, Skynet, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of it, some of what I think about recently has been uh, environmental impact of various things, which I know you kind of have a little bit of an interest in. I watched a recent documentary. I think it's an older documentary actually called Cowspiracy, mm-hmm. where they're kind of talking about the ag industry, uh, particularly the beef ag industry. And basically like an acre of rainforest is cut down every day and this much water and this much land and this much methane and uh, kind of the predictions of of the end of the world just due to uh, greenhouse gases and the environmental crisis kind of reaching a point of no return, which is ultimately a population, a population problem, a human mm-hmm. population problem. Yeah. And sorry, I'm talking for a while here, but... I kind of kick around the idea with my friends and some other people that um, are somewhat educated in the in the area. And they sometimes, I'm definitely not a doomsday prepper type at all, but I like to think about these kind of things. I'm a thinker, I'm a planner, I'm a, you know, what can we do to fix it? And you, we get into the, the conversations of science and we're, we're going to find a way to fix this scientifically. Like there's a lot of smart people, there's people working on this. Um, and I kind of get into the realm of like, yeah, we are. We're going to create artificial artificial intelligence, and they're going to say their only solution is like the culling of the human race, kind of thing. Oh yeah. So that's wildly out there, but kind of kind of ties into a lot of actual real life real life problems that are kind of facing facing the globe, more at a global level. I know you were kind of talking about uh, national civil unrest type stuff, mm-hmm. terrorist things. So. Those are all kind of on the forefront for me too, and just kind of general preparedness. Yeah, there's and there's a lot of, I mean, what you're saying is, you know, if, if what we what we what we tend to forget is we are not the leaders in technology. Mm-hmm. China, South Korea, um, there's a whole bunch of the Japanese. Obviously, there's a whole bunch of countries that have a vested interest in increasing. Uh, their technological capabilities and outrunning and pacing us. I remember I was in um, I was in Niger, Africa, and I I remember the infrastructure was just garbage. I mean, there was nothing there, and you know it's got the most NGOs supporting the infrastructure just to keep it alive. I mean, there's no cash crops, there's no industries. Um, they basically need nonprofit organizations to provide support for them just to live mm-hmm. for the, with the bare staples. But what I saw booming there was uh, Chinese infrastructure. So the buildings, the hotels, the business centers, because they had a vested interest in creating um, not only tapping into natural resources that the Africans couldn't afford and bartering these deals, but also this, like, you know, basically this um, uh, transcontinental highway of developing these roadways and systems to be able to get to these uh, resources. So when it comes to, like, AI... You know, there, there's reports and there's case studies and there's all kinds of uh, uh, information about how China is, with without the restrictions, is developing AI, developing, um, um, you know, genetically superior human beings and animals and everything else behind the shadows of, you know, of us not paying attention. Uh-huh. And so, 
you, I was just, uh, you know, you see, I don't know if you've seen that game. It's a Jap, it's a Korean game, but the, the number one player in it is Korean. If you, if you've never heard of this podcast before, know who we are, but we're both half Korean. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, uh, I think it's, it's, I was going to, I was going to say Sudoku, but it's not. Um, anyways, there's a few games, one of them included chess where, the AI systems were completely destroying. Because back in the day, human beings were like, there would be no computer that could be a human a human being, uh-huh. a chess master. There's no way it would happen. Uh, and it quickly happened. And then not only did it happen, but uh, we developed other alternative AI uh, machines that were machine learning and destroying the original machines because they were uh, changing algorithms and adapting to that. And so... Now it becomes intuitive AI, and there's a whole bunch of different mechanisms behind that. But it won't. There's there's a there's a pathway to a point where you give them the action arm or the ability to action or physically react. And like you said, if the optimization of AI in that program or that algorithm is um, human beings are a waste of space and resources, which in a way we kind of are. I mean, we, we, if you think about all the people on the planet, American Americans that average incomes above 50,000, we're the top 1%. So we forget that the rest of the world doesn't live how we live. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, we think in our bubble that we're safe, but the reality is it won't take a lot of steps for somebody to outrun us and then potentially create an AI platform that just annihilates or devastates uh, our society. I, I don't think it's far off at all. I mean, I mean you know, I, I imagine some point 20 years ago before the internet existed, um, nobody was thinking that a technology would accelerate this fast. I mean, yeah. look where we're at now with the access to information. Yeah. When I was a kid, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, but when I was a, when I was a kid growing up, um, you had to read Encyclopedia Britannica's to get information and fact find. Oh yeah, man! I you know now there. it's in the access. Uh, you know it's instantaneously you can get all the answers, um, and the list goes on. If you know when you think about AI, what would be the doomsday uh, thought of like the worst case scenario for you? Would it be like them creating something like a disease, or how how do you think that would play out? Man, I have no idea. There's there's so many scenarios, but it's so Elon Musk a couple years ago, mm-hmm. like was big time, maybe not even a couple years ago, maybe like a year ago, was big time getting before Congress and saying like we need to regulate artificial intelligence now. Mm-hmm. Like by the time it's enough of a threat for you guys to feel like it deserves our attention to regulate, that's we're past the point of it's no return. Yeah. Like we have to do it now before we get there. And it didn't go anywhere. And Elon Musk was like, I tried, dude. Like, mm. I'm, I'm a pretty smart guy. I know a lot of pretty smart people. AI is going to wipe us out. We need to stop it now. Nobody paid attention to him. Nobody cared, um, which, is, which is crazy to me. On one end, yeah, AI seems kind of out there. Like, yeah, you're, you're kind of crazy for thinking we're going to get wiped out by AI. And I get that sentiment. I, I'm kind of mm. there as well. But at the same time, you got some really smart people mm. trying to warn us that they know about stuff that could wipe us out pretty easily. Uh, but to answer your question, how? Yeah, that's that's tough. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day, and I'm not paranoid, and I, I embrace smart technology, so I'm not like, I'm not sitting in a cave somewhere. Mm. But I, I think like 
there's been some studies like in the CIA and stuff, how different sound frequencies can affect the human psyche, how it can paralyze you, how it can, I mean, to a certain extent, there's like some kind of mind control aspects that can happen just straight through sound. And I'm like, everyone has a cell phone. Everyone has a smart Alexa, Google thing in their house. Like everyone has some type of smart device that can broadcast signals. So this is, I don't know much in this realm, honestly, but I was thinking like, man, if the AI took over, you know, the internet, they could just broadcast, like there's smart everything. Like people have cell phones by their, by their bed at night. They have, and this isn't to freak you guys out at all, yeah. but just to answer your question, like, I don't know. There's it's the commonality amongst us. It's the cell phone. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so there's tech yeah. out there that, yeah, I think, I think they could use without having to build like Terminator robots, uh-huh. but, but yeah. I yeah, I don't, I, think, I don't think it's crazy at all. You know, you know, when I think about how we exploit ba- bad guys, I mean, we were exploiting bad guys. I mean, this is open source information now, but it used to be a, a big classified TTP or tactic, and we exploit bad guys with cell phones. I mean, and, and you know, the, the government got in a lot of trouble because, um, you know, with Ed, Edward Snowden releasing all the uh, information through WikiLeaks, uh, we started to realize the NSA was tracking all of our movement, all of our patterns of life, and kind of extracting that data to exploit it. And so, you know, it's it's a mechanism for exploitation. And so you already have a pathway to the end user that's on the ground. So it wouldn't be that difficult. And I, I know what you mean with the frequency stuff. Um, it wouldn't be that difficult to, to cause chaos. And I, I think on the EM, I think on the... Um, the start kickoff of a catastrophe. I talk about civil unrest and I talk about how even AI in an algorithm that's learning, uh, let's say patterns of behavior. Let's say, let's say, uh, Twitter. Um, let's say the Russians developed an algorithm that determined, um, what defi- what divisiveness meant. Right. And let's say that was all based off of a tweet response. So if they tweeted like Black Lives Matter because they were playing the Black Lives Matter crowd and then they were turning against other people in this debate, then the other people on the other side, it would be easy in an algorithm to identify keywords that say, hey, uh, screw you, right? And so now screw you or whatever the word, uh, uh, the keywords are, they could basically say, oh, we're causing um, dissent. We're causing people to go against each other. Mm-hmm. And so now quickly that AI can learn the best optimization of creating the most uh, descent. And basically now it, it spirals and then it creates, I mean, it's, it's something that's already done, but imagine the AI aspect of it where it's just learning the protocol and then optimizing itself in efficiency and becoming the best at being destructive. And so when it comes to civil unrest, it's not hard to take two groups, where, which in our country we're so divisive now, to take two separate groups and then put them against each other in social media space where you can affect the civil unrest via algorithms and AI mm-hmm. and then have them meet on the streets. I mean, hell, you could even program the meets in the algorithm for, the, uh, for them to actually meet up. And then what do you think is going to happen when... Uh, you know, a thousand on one side and a thousand on the other side show up and then they combat each other. And then the next thing you know, it's like, it is literally like the Black Lives Matter movement, which there's actually some uh, reports that say 
that it was part of uh, the Russians and other countries' uh, plan to disrupt our, our system. And so I, I think the AI could easily play into that via technology and, I mean, implode us via civil unrest. We're already, I don't know why it's so divisive now. I don't remember it being this way. Yeah. But it seems like it's incredibly divisive. Yeah, it's crazy. And it, it's it's a media thing also, I think. Like, never have we mm, had news absolutely. so fast. Never have we heard yep. little stories in Cincinnati or whatever across the globe kind of resonate with so many people. Um, but some of that reminds me, uh, show a little nerdy side, I guess. When I was younger, I read this series, Ender's Game. Mm. Um, and I forget which book it was, but there was a there was a part where these two genius brother and sisters basically played the world by becoming these political figures. Uh, and it was all basically on the internet. So they didn't know that these genius kids were like 11 and 15 or something. But they played the two sides to control essentially all of society to do what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And this was in a book written, you know, 20, 30 years ago. I'm not really sure. But in today's culture, where you were kind of talking about social media, uh, we even have a term for it, influencers. Mm -hmm. These people, just anybody, The Rock, Kim Kardashian, whatever. These people are influencing hundreds of millions of people. Um, so it's not far off, like you were saying, for people to influence uh, people of a certain group to do a certain thing. Uh, and that could be a pretty pretty easy easy kind of route to civil unrest. Uh, you have so many people disagreeing with Trump. If someone like, say, Oprah, just all of a sudden was like, hey, rise let's up. <laughs> rise up. Let's, let's smash these stores and these things. And somebody with, and I just Oprah-ed out of nowhere, I said that. Kim Kardashian, The Rock, anybody yeah. could say, hey, let's do this to show that we don't agree with the president. And there would be hundreds of thousands of people across the globe that would just fall along like little sheep because their influencer person, their favorite person, mm -hmm. decided to do a thing. So that's, I mean, yeah, civil unrest, which is which is kind of more fun to talk about and think about, maybe more fun, that's kind of weird to say. Yeah. But as far as the prepper realm goes, kind of a a more interesting, I guess, apocalyptic scenario mm. or SHTF scenario. And I think you're right. I mean, the, the influence that people have on, on the masses is, is pretty crazy, unprecedented now than than ever before because of technology. Well, it's, it, it, it reminds me of me and you. I mean, we have... Look, we've, we've developed strategically, right? You go into this marketplace and you have a, an in-state. I mean, look, even through our journey, our goal is to influence. And so whether that's collecting likes or collecting followers or establishing a, a, you know, a placehold in the demographic or in the uh, genre that you're in, and, and ours happens to be preparedness, you do so deliberately. And you methodically go through this process and then you assemble your tribe and then you have that tribe and then, you know, you, you kind of develop this realm of influence and people more so now than ever are leaning towards social media because that's where they go for information. That's where they go for influence. I mean, I, I never remember being a young man, um, you know, hungry for knowledge going on any kind of platform to be able to look for a mentor. Uh, we, I look for mentors in real life because you have the option. But now, 
so many people look for mentors and I mentor a whole bunch of young men, um, in different ways, whether it's the you know military service, uh, family life, whatever it may be. And so it's not hard to assemble your tribe and then turn them against the other tribe. And, you know, if you live in Colorado mm-hmm. and, you know, Denver, um, they just allowed, you know, they, obviously they, it's legal, mar- uh, marijuana is legal in um, Colorado. Also, re- I mean, it's recreational, uh, marijuana is legal. Also, they just legalized, it's the first in the country, legalized psilocybin mushrooms, mm-hmm. uh, which I think it's, honestly, I think it's smart. I think if, it, if you're turning a criminal into, into uh, uh, somebody who's carrying psilocybin mushrooms, it's it's probably a waste of taxpayer dollars. Yeah. Um, but anyways, you, you have Denver, and now there's a big homeless population there. I know recently I was there uh, visiting family, and I was surprised at how much has changed since I was stationed there uh, almost 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so the, the question for you is, as soon as things kick off, you, you see on the news civil unrest, people are going crazy, and it, it could be any apocalyptic uh, scenario, um, but there's unrest where people are jacking cars, people are violently attacking other people, um, you know, and it's a it's a man-made catastrophe. What is your first steps? What's what's the first thing that you do when you hear that? Do you go get your gun and your backpack? What what do you what do you do? Yeah, and a lot of it depends on where I am at that very moment. Um, I kind of have a little plan in place with my my immediate family, uh, kind of a plan of action. I fortunately I live uh, off the beaten path of ways kind of up in the mountains. So mm. I'll be if I'm in the city, I'll be trying to get home, which is part of my vehicle. I drive a capable vehicle that can get me home. Uh, obviously, you know, if it's an EMP or something crazy that throws throws uh, yeah. some stuff into the mix. <laughs> uh, but I have a get home bag. Um, I'm, I stay fit. I can handle the walk home. I've actually done kind of a few dry runs with my get home bag. Uh, Wait, to get, see. Did, you have, did you make that term up? Get home bag? Yeah. I didn't make it up. No, it's, a, it's the first time I've heard that. Yeah, so a lot, there's like a few, like a bug out bag is you're bugging out. You're mm-hmm. taking it from your home to the woods, to place. the cabin, to whatever. Um, but there is kind of a, a movement or a term, terminology, yeah, called, called get home bag. Uh, it goes by a few other terms, but that's kind mm-hmm. of one I've... I like that, man. The one I like, you know? Yeah. Because I'm really... It's it's a bag that's going to get me home. So what's, has, di- well, what's different between that and a go, ba- and a go bag? Go bag, pretty similar thing. Okay. Pretty similar thing. Um, it's just has some stuff, you know, maybe some food, maybe some fire, maybe some clothing, a poncho. A little lighter, maybe? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so not... And it's really, it's built specifically for kind of the the longest, the furthest trip that you'll have to do, assuming, we'll just say an EMP. So from, we'll say, your office to your home. So a kit that's going to get you, worst case scenario, from your office to your home. Mm-hmm. So if that's a three-mile hike, you don't really need anything. Yeah. If it's a 30-mile hike, you might need some more. If it's a 60-mile commute or something, mm-hmm. uh, you'll need some more. So for me, if I'm in, if I'm in the city I'll get home um and really at that point I'm going to be bugging in uh because I personally am off the beaten path mm-hmm. uh, so I kind of have a plan in place for to really meet at my brother's house who's even more off the beaten path mm-hmm. and a little more defendable and has a little more land that we could you know hang out longer term we have a little more food there mm-hmm. he's got a little more solar set up there so 
I have a plan in place, which is basically get out of town, get home if I can. Um, and I kind of have mapped these routes out. So what, what am I going to take by foot if I have to go on foot? Mm -hmm. Um, so I know these just by heart, just by, by the landscape. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have a paper map as well if I really need to rely on something like that. So getting home is the first step. And then I have preparations at home for, for a good while, but then the end goal is for, for us all to meet up. Okay. So you got, so when you talk about, um, you know, breaking down and getting to your home, that's a definable position for you. Yeah. It's not, it's not like, because I mean, if, for example, for people who live in Denver, you know, when you live on top of people in Denver and it's really densely populated, the, the threat is people start fighting for resources. It's people tough. People start beating yeah. each other up. I mean, it happens, you know, you could have a, a power outage in some inner cities or some cities. I don't mean to say inner cities like ghettos, but I mean actual cities mm -hmm. where you have power outage outages where people take advantage of that. You know, they're yeah. lying and lurking in the shadows and that's figuratively speaking. I mean, they're just doing their thing, but when the opportunity arises, they take advantage of that opportunity. And that can happen within hours. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Go it, from yeah. like pretty normal life, mm -hmm. getting some food from the drive through or something to just mass riding. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's especially scary to think about if you live in the city mm -hmm. or even in the suburbs. Um, in which case I would probably think of a location, you know, kind of have a bug out location, have friends cabin or a spot in the woods or something, someplace in mind mm -hmm. to kind of get out too. But yeah, that's the difference between kind of like the, the mentality of bugging in versus the mentality of bugging out. Mm. Um, and a lot of that really depends on, on where you live, if you have a de defensible mm -hmm. place. But I mean, there's, there's so many variables, fires, you know, you could have all the preparations in the world, steel doors, bars on your windows. But if a fire goes rolling through your neighborhood, you gotta, mm. you, you gotta have a backup plan, uh, yeah. an option B. Yeah. Are you, have you ever thought about caches? Yeah, I have. Um, it's fun to think about and it's interesting, but I, I, for me, there's never a, a scenario where I'd be so far away that it would make realistic sense to, to do something like that. Yeah. But people that have longer commutes, mm -hmm. if, or maybe you're like a flight attendant or something and you drive a hundred miles in to do something for a week, or maybe you're a travel nurse or, or something where you're, you're not, you're oftentimes not in your home location, mm -hmm. like where you can just walk there in a day or two. Sometimes I think if I was in a scenario like that, then I might do, yeah, like a cache or a cache mm -hmm. somewhere, but kind for of facilitate me, your movement and resupply along the way mm -hmm. where you're going. Yeah. And some of that might be for weapons. Like potentially if you were, in some scenario where you weren't allowed to bring weapons, maybe mm -hmm. public transit may, or whatever your off, your workplace doesn't have a place to store weapons. And yeah, you take the bus 30 miles in maybe a cache of a weapon somewhere, but, but again, that kind of, that gets tricky. How about you? What are your thoughts? No, I, you know, I think caches are, I think caches are meant to facilitate movement. And I, I, when I think about caches, I actually think um, more so that the social people network is your cache. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like a, uh, it's like a geocache. It's like a live cache whereby, you know, I, I, I honestly think now just being in the game for a little bit and kind of analyzing everything that you can't survive without a good network, you know, and, and especially for a sustained period of time. Yeah. You could have 30 days worth of food and how long that's going to last you probably 30 days. Uh, same thing with water, but eventually your resources will run out. And if you're not, you know, we talk about homesteading and ag and jarring and canning and all this stuff that people think are is corny, but I'm like, man, yeah, it's real cool to be on a, you know, a flat range and running and gunning. But if, if you don't know how to do the basics, like, like agriculture, if you don't know how to plant and grow food, then one, you're just at a, a huge disadvantage in a survival situation, but also um, it, to me, it's like a basic skill set. Like if you, if you change a tire, you know how to change a tire on your vehicle. That's one element v- via, uh, the other elements are like, Hey, understand how to grow food, understand how to can food, understand how to hunt, understand how to skin food, uh, understand how to prepare food. Um, because those things long-term are going to lend themselves to survival, but also it just benefits you in life, man. I like, like we used to always know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, before the industrial revolution of of food in in places and you know after the 1920s um when we understood feast and famine i mean i'm fascinated with uh pioneering cowboy and indian history because dude it sucked i mean you would die from a i mean you would eat the wrong chow get giardia and you would die mm. you had appendicitis you're dead you get shot or wounded bacterial infection you're dead um, you want to travel one state over? Yeah. You're dead. Oh, you're dead. <laughs> you get caught in a winter storm in the middle of Colorado in the pioneering days, uh, you're dead. And so, you know, the Revenant made that made that absolutely uh, reality. Um, they illustrated it really well. Mm-hmm. But before, like, these fake-ass grocery stores made all this fake-ass food, we actually understood things like, how to homestead, how to grow food, how to procure water, how to clean water, you know, even crazy stuff. Like I'm interested in brewing beer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I actually used to homebrew. I brewed when I was in Yemen. We used to have, uh, we called it Aiden's Abbey and we would smuggle in grain to brew beer, uh, because every Friday night, um, one of the, uh, uh, I call them just chief of station allowed us to get a brick oven pizza. Um, and we built this thing. So we made homemade pizza from yeast that we infiltrated into the country and homemade beer that we brewed from grain that we infiltrated in the country. But was what was unique about that was... It was the most badass pizza uh, and beer ever. It was awesome. Right? It was all, well, It was good for morale because that place sucked. But um, what's um, important to understand is, you know, before there was a lot of sanitation and clean water, we drunk beer all the time because it was uh, sanitized, you know, it was you know, the alcohol and the process of fermentation sanitized a lot of the crap in the water, so it was safe to drink. Mm-hmm. And so just basic knowledge like that, like, I mean, you could still stay hydrated with drinking beer. Um, you could, you know, plant a seed and grow food if you know the process. I'm more interested in that long-term because I know I either have to know the friends and family that know those processes because, yeah, Shit hits the fan. I got to link up with John because John has a farm and he has a field. I'll pro- I'll provide protection for him while we eat off his farm. Mm-hmm. I, 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 we just get so much. We just get so far away from kind of like the our natural knowledge, 
and because we think that, you know the quick access to technology on our phones and being able to uh, emulate or disseminate knowledge that we've read on online is knowledge when that's just emulating um, but true knowledge is understanding processes and then actually doing it you know yeah is there any gaps in your game like what is there something that that when you think about in survival that you haven't done, but you feel like you should do and you're like uncomfortable with it. I mean, I have several of those, but. Yeah. And it it kind of almost cycles based on phase of my life. Like I, I wish I could run 20 miles. I I don't think I could run 20 miles right now Mm -hmm. if I, if I needed to. Well, I mean, who knows with, with the adrenaline flowing or whatever. Uh, so there's always, I could be in be- better physical shape, mm-hmm. but like you were saying, some of this stuff, homesteading stuff, having a garden, growing food, all this stuff. I've done a little bit. I had a greenhouse for a little while. I raised some chickens. Like oh, I have some, cool. I have some rudimentary skills, but I bought several homesteading books, honestly. Yeah. Uh, so there's some books, I think one's called like Back to the Basics. Yeah, I got I that like, one. Yeah. <laughs> Those are awesome books. Those are old books. That's yeah. cool. And they kind of te- they, they teach you these skills that you were talking about that we have no idea how to do now, or me anyway. A lot, a lot of people still, well, some people still do. I wouldn't say a lot. Um, so I actually bought some books that at some point I might read, honestly, but I haven't. Yeah, just it's a, it's a time thing, but I did build some preparation, so I have these books, and I actually keep them in a in a fire safe, just for edge case scenario that um, I'll have some information for me because you know knowledge is power and all that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and I could I could breeze through those books pretty quick and gain some skills, and if I didn't have those books, I'd be completely screwed. So that's that's smart. I never even thought about that. But that's absolutely smart because. I, I collect books. I have thousands of books and I have a whole section of survival and homesteading and gardening and stuff. And where you, you know, part of this whole collapse of the infrastructure in this apocalyptic situation is you're probably not going to have the internet mm-hmm. and you're probably just going to have what you have in books sitting on your shelf. So if you don't have reference material to either re-educate yourself or educate yourself, then you're not going to have a start point unless you have, again, the social network of somebody that you know that is the expert in that, you know? Yeah, so if you can't become the expert and you don't have have the expert of of a valuable skill set kind of in your tribe, then then you got to at least have the information available to, to learn it yourself eventually. Uh, even putting your faith in somebody from, you know, maybe your best friend, maybe your brother, if we're talking the end of the world, there's no guarantee that they're alive or will survive. Um, so having something like a book, yeah, it could it could get stolen, it could get burned down. But but if if you die, your your brother could use it, or or if you're injured or something happens, then your 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 wife or whoever could use that book still. Um, so it's good for both knowledge transfer, um, but also just for for yourself. I I mostly have it just. So one day if I need to use it, or maybe one day if I have some time and think about it, I'll kind of read through it. Uh, so while I think it's great to have an expert understanding in everything, that's pretty unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of shoot for an expert understanding in, in certain things, maybe like defensive applications, mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, and then having a stockpile of food or something like that. Then I have a rudimentary understanding of some of the other basics with uh, supplementary information via mm. books, printouts, 
Internet's available right now. You, you search some valuable skills printed out on paper. That's essentially a book. So there's a lot of ways to get that, that kind of information tucked away for, for hard times. Yeah, I got hard drives full of uh, electronic books, but also um, all these tutorial videos on homesteading and just, just, just different stuff that I've discovered. And it's cool to archive that. It's like running offline maps, right? You know, when the infrastructure collapses and you don't have the access to online maps, um, you, you feel lost. And it's mm -hmm. the same principle. You know, you, you want to be able to reference that information. Uh, even recording YouTube and taking down uh, as much information as you can and kind of like referencing it and throwing it in that safe, like you said. Uh, you don't want to get your opinion on um, on ammo. Because what one thing I, I failed to do, and it's kind of one of my insecurities in survival and preparedness, something that I've, it's on my bucket list, but obviously because of time and the excuses, I haven't done it. Um, I haven't stockpiled a lot of ammo. And I, I used to keep a surplus, but I've gone through the surplus, meant to cycle through it. Do you do you ever think about stuff like that in stockpiling ammo and partitioning rounds? Like, I know there's a debate about like, hey, you need to have 22 uh, a long rifle because you need to be able to hunt small game and all this different stuff, and then have you know certain amount of ammo for, um, uh, for combating man-made threats and then big game, etc. Do you, do you actually stockpile ammo? I do a little bit, mm -hmm. yeah. And I, I try to keep my calibers pretty basic. So I have, I won't say how much ammo I have necessarily, but I have 22 9mm, uh, 5.56, 300 blackout, mm. and 308. That's a good um, scale. So that's yeah. the, uh, those are the main jams I have, as well as kind of uh, backups of rounds. So I have several 9 millimeters. I have several 5.56, several 300 blackouts, several 308s, and several 22s. So I don't try to, I'm not stockpiling 40 S&W. I'm not even stockpiling 45, 44, none, none of these kind of specialty rounds. Mm -hmm. Like I have guns that shoot a lot of those rounds, but I don't stockpile. So, mm -hmm. so kind of stockpiling. I do cycle out. So I, I do it all in metal ammo cans um, with a little silica gel in there put dates on it and and cycle it out uh you put you put dry ammo with some silica gel in a in a metal ammo can it's good for decades yeah yeah i've actually cracked cases open of decades old ammo in the middle of uh, nowhere and uh yeah absolutely we actually were debating shooting it or not and we shot it and there was no issues whatsoever all the primers were good all the powder was good um what's your stockpile of food what are you looking at food for something like the apocalypse, do you, will, will, will your stockpile of food change when you're looking at, I mean, we're talking about the most uh, dangerous and worst catastrophe known to man. Um, is there is there something that changes in that formula? Yeah, um, I guess. I mean, it, it would depend. Uh, so I, I have some I have some food stockpiled. Several, I have a lot. I have a lot of food stockpiled. I'm not talking a lifetime supply, yeah. but more than a couple months of food. Mm. Uh, just in free, freeze-dried, a lot mm. of mountain house stuff. Mm. Some stuff I use for camping. Uh, I have quite a bit of canned food, even though I don't really eat much canned food. Um, but primarily freeze-dried stuff. The mountain house cans, actually. Uh, so I have a lot of that. And then I have... Um, I don't really want to give up my secrets, but the LDS dispensary sells canned food. Mm -hmm. uh, canned rice, canned beans. You go to your little oh, LDS. go figure. Canned rice. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's, that's what I got. Mostly 90% <laughs> canned rice. Uh, I so love I, rice. So Sorry. I have a, yeah. quite a bit of that uh, stockpiled. But I also have these things. They're kind of generically called survival seeds, which are seeds that you can plant, obviously. So there's tomatoes and green beans and this kind of stuff. Uh, and so I have some seeds. And that they I have a high plant. shelf life. Yeah, nice. some 2,500 years. They're in little mylar bags or something. So they're, uh, I'm having a brain fart of the term. They're a certain type of seed that is, will reproduce and you can create crops that then you can use those seeds to heirloom. Heirloom, heirloom seeds. Yeah. Yep. yeah, so I have some heirloom seeds for more long term stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty, pretty, not doomsday prepper yeah. dialed for food, but. But dialed for most realistic things. And then I have a rain barrel, so I have some water collection going on. Um, you doing fuel storage? That's where I'm kind of lacking. I'm actually this summer going to get solar installed in a battery array on mm. my house. Uh, not a full-on off-grid setup, but mm. enough that would be able to get me by. Um, I keep some fuel. I keep probably about 10 gallons of fuel with stable in it, uh, just on hand that I kind of cycle out. What do you, Every six months. What do you think about this? E- I mean, uh, look, there was a, a cool company that had an electric uh, truck uh, at Overland Expo. I, I talked yeah, to the... Rivian. Yeah, Rivian. I talked to the business guys on that, and it it, it seems like a, a concept now. It doesn't seem something they're mass they're able to mass produce. Because a lot of that stuff obviously takes millions of dollars. Capital investors, it's not a real uh, viable business. It's not like you come out of the box and you scale from one car to the next car. I talked to them too. They had they yeah. have some pretty big investments. Do they? they? They yeah. They have. I don't know if he was telling me privately, so I'm not going to talk about it now. But yeah, they had they had large chunks of money oh, coming okay. in uh, because a lot a lot of it is based on this. Uh, they call it the skateboard platform. It's the batteries yeah, on the bottom, uh, and they're selling that to. I don't know who. I'm just going to name some names like. Ford, Chevy, these kind of companies. So it's kind of a modular system Mm -hmm. that these other companies are investing into. And I think that's kind of fronting the capital necessary for them to get on their feet. So I wonder if the, I wonder if the, the business strategy is, you know, you're sitting in the shell where they could obviously, and he talked to me a little bit about it, where, you know, you're taking the cab of certain vehicles and applying that. And, you know, uh, uh, Rogan just had a podcast on a guy who's, you know, he's a Tesla hacker where basically he buys all these used Teslas for fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 that are wrecked and total lost, but still have the re- retained good batteries, you know, made typically made by Panasonic. And then they, um, they basically do the software hacks on them and then reintegrate them into another vehicle. It's mm. become really popular. Wow. I mean, I've, I've seen like Volkswagen bugs that are electric with Tesla uh, drivetrains. Man, I haven't batteries. heard of that. Dude, it's awesome. And I'm actually thinking about getting one because you can get obviously the cheaper versions of it. Like I, you know, I'm not going to pay seventy thousand dollars for a Tesla. I do think they, they have viability um, and just there's justifications for it, but they're just not at the price point that I want. But if I can get like a a sixty five Volkswagen Bug, that's a Tesla uh, battery powered electric vehicle, um, I'd be all about it. Do you do you think do you think there's a future in electric everything? Yeah, counterintuitive to kind of our AI talk and the worry there. I am fully stoked about uh, the future of electric vehicles. Mm, I've been yep. tracking the Rivian for a while. Uh, I spent a lot, lot of time there actually talking to some of their engineers about 
just you know, some of their suspension components mm -hmm. and the motors on each wheel and things like that. Uh, and then I was talking to them also about the battery packs. And so the, the top of the line version has a 400 mile range, which sounds pretty good. Um, there's nothing like your, your Dodge that you got set yeah. up, uh, but pretty good. Uh, the thing with electric vehicles is you get a solar array, you go 400 miles. If you are not in a hurry, put the solar panel out, depending on the size of it, obviously, mm -hmm. charge back up, go another 400 miles or go 200 miles, charge yeah. back up, go another more. Uh, so I, I think the future, uh, especially in the overland space is really there. Um, I don't think that far off. If all of the kind of claims and the, the conceptual kind of planning and the stages for the, the Rivian uh, come to fruition, uh, it's going to be a pretty, pretty amazing vehicle, assuming it's reliable and all this other stuff. Um, but I think, I think there's a future for electric. I mean, I think solar is pretty inefficient. Mm -hmm. There hasn't been a, a ton of advancements in, in solar power and, and collecting uh, renewable energy, I guess. But yeah. I, I think I think the potential is there. There's so much unharvested power out there mm -hmm. um, that we should be able to harvest. I think there, there's a lot. There's a lot that's going to be there um, for electric. But I don't know. This is unrelated to electric. But really, I just think that the Earth sustainability isn't sustainable because the population rise is so insane and the the need for protein the need for uh for food for water resources for infrastructure for for electricity yeah for that, power uh, which is really that, power, that, yeah. that's how they, yeah that's how i guess my mind got there is thinking power renewable power and the thing is it has to be there because mm -hmm. of population growth mm -hmm. like fossil fuels there's a lot of debate on how much is left there may be a ton there may be <laughs> nearly infinite because it, it does keep getting replenished uh just scientifically that's kind of how it works but i don't know that there will be enough to sustain mankind so uh i think yeah the future the future is in electric and, and kind of sustainable energy what and i'm think? not you know a liberal i'm not like go green everything yeah. but just logically it, has it to makes be. sense yeah it has to be right it, it has, has to be, to be something be. that's sustainable and, and currently on the track we're on it's not sustainable and there's a whole bunch of debate about you know whether or not like example the tesla is uh reducing the uh you know the greenhouse gas and emissions and everything yeah. else the effect on the environment because of all the requirements of these batteries and the shipping of the batteries and the assembly and everything else. Yeah, and even more so, the, the recharging of the batteries from a house that isn't solar powered. They're, they're using fossil fuels for the energy mm, to charge the batteries. Yeah. So really the perfect cycle for, for kind of a Tesla household is solar. You, you harvest the energy from the sun. Uh, to charge your vehicle. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there, there's the big debate of ah, do we have enough resources to continue to make these batteries? Yeah. Because that's depleting a natural resource. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think, while I think electric is the future, I think there's there's a lot to be learned. There's a lot of efficiency to be increased in, in how we go about it. Mostly batteries. The battery packs in these Teslas, especially the longer range ones, massive and massively expensive. Mm -hmm. So that's another area where like with solar, I think there's 
there's tons of advancements waiting to come. We're, we're waiting for the aliens to come bring us that that tech. I know. They brought it, you know, several centuries ago, and they got to bring the new stuff now. They do. They have to infill and drop off the next cachet, the next <laughs> evolution of the human race. Yeah. I, you know, the, the lithium requirements, all, all the different natural resources, it's all good points. What about what about the bike version? Because I've tested a couple of these bikes, these e-bikes, and then... Those are cool. They're cool. I, mean, I almost kill myself on one of them. Um, Cat motor works. Yeah, I saw uh, I saw some of your videos of you riding around oh, on God. those, zipping around. Fifty miles an hour that thing goes, and it's a bike. And then so, if you're not used to going fifty miles an hour on a bicycle, like I used to do downhill stuff in Colorado, and so I'm used to high speed, but fifty miles an hour, working through terrain is dangerous for anybody. But the the what I was impressed by today is you know I like HBC the high powered cycles uh, bike, but this Ubco. This um, what is it? Um, what is it? Uh, utility bike company is what Upco stands for. Okay. And it's kind of this standalone two wheel drive bike, so it has traction um, and power converted to both wheels. Okay. And has a uh, I believe it's a forty. Um, I don't want to get the stats wrong, but anyways, it's it's a different thing than a bike. It actually looks like a little pit bike wide tires yeah uh, but to me it's just more utilitarian i mean it's like when i think about bugging out and especially when i was talking about doing a test for bugging out i can't imagine being on that bike for 100 miles like that would be brutal but that ubco with the wide seat it's it looks comfortable like i could do a 100 mile bug out on that bike uh -huh. um but it's just more user friendly obviously because you're still moving you're still tracking you're still moving with speed and distance but you're not hammering resources and you're not limited in a vehicle platform. I think, yeah, I think electric, electric based vehicles for, for bugging out or getting home or whatever is, is awesome. There will be the preppers are, what about an EMP? Yeah. Well then you everything's kind of screwed. Yeah. But, uh, sans EMP, I think those are great options. I actually just ordered <laughs> kind of unrelated. We're getting a little off topic here, but, uh, one wheel. I don't know if you've seen those, um, but they're basically have, yeah, yeah. a single wheel that's electric. They look real cool. And you can get like 16 mile range on this little small wheel that goes like 20 miles an hour max mm -hmm. speed. And, and you granted, stand on it, right? And stand on it. It's yeah, just you just kind of lean. Yeah, kind of lean and lean. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's the biggest, best bug out platform, but I ordered one just because just it, it, looked, it looked cool. I haven't gotten it yet, but... I, I thought about something like that, like keep a little one wheel in the trunk of my vehicle. If that could, say I could take that thing 10 miles, mm -hmm. that's easier than walking 10 miles or Absolutely. running 10 miles. Yeah. So it's all, it's all about making, making it easier. It's all about using technology to your advantage. So that's, yeah, like the, like the bikes that you're talking about. Which are rad. You've been doing a lot with those electric bikes, huh? I'm fascinated with them, man. I don't know. Like, uh, Recall TV keeps asking me, like, hey, what do you want to shoot? I'm like, dude, anything electric. Like, if I, when, um, uh, hopefully this 511 thing goes and we, we get to uh, focus on uh, different transport bug out platforms, um, but I will go after everything that's that's alternate pow alternately powered. Okay. And so electric bikes, that electric vehicle, um, you know, anything, even this, I, I'm fascinated by this Tesla hack because that's I mean, awesome. Dude, I'm going to look into that. You could, this dude buys 
crash Teslas that are total, like the front end is total. He'll get it for 20 grand, which is about a minimum. You can't get them really cheaper than that. Mm -hmm. And then he'll bring him into the garage, and then he has a software hacker that basically can go in there and hack the software because you can't, you can't go into the, uh, um, because it's all geolocated and it's actually software updated via that geolocation. So you have to trick the system. And he op openly advertises he does this, but imagine taking that platform and just changing out the body. I mean, it could be a damn box. I don't care what it looks like. I, I don't care if it's a, like again, if a 65 Volkswagen bug, um, but as long as it has the efficiency in it, I'm, I'm all about it. I want to test those vehicles, man. That's cool. If you ever get your hands on a Rivian, let me know and, and I'll fly out. Really want to drive one of those around. Zero to 60 in three seconds, that thing. Yeah, they were telling me about the suspension as, as well. You can, all kinds of like self-leveling. You could, you could park on an incline and hit a button and it'll level your rooftop tent out. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they're working on that. And then also just having having motors on each wheel, it's it kind of, you don't need a locker, you don't really need limited slip, you just need uh, a program that says uh, they have something kind of like torque vectoring type stuff that mm -hmm. they say, well, we're going to keep all of the wheels going mm -hmm. and we're going to give it just enough torque on each wheel for them all to continue spinning at Ooh, the same that's speed. Fascinating. fascinating. So, I mean, I, I think the future, yeah, the future is electric vehicles and there's no you know with an internal combustion engine you don't get power until you get to a certain rpm so you have this kind of jerking not steady you got to wait for the power to you got to mm -hmm. dump your clutch if you need to do that mm -hmm. or you need really need the low range or whatever all of that's gone with electric yeah it's i never even thought about that and i i'm surprised the military hasn't picked up that application because i know there's there's been solicitations for it. Like they want that technology. And when I was in the military, they, there was talk about that, those kind of platforms, especially electric motorcycles and, uh, or electric e-bikes. Yeah. And it, it just hasn't come to fruition. It, yeah. I haven't seen a lot of defense money dumped in to that industry, which typically accelerates the process. Yeah. Right? What's going on with the world? I feel like there's a conspiracy that mm. electric vehicles haven't been getting picked up. Well, now it's all drones. Everybody's focusing on this air, air stuff. Yeah. They're like, Oh, well, why would we do it on the ground? Just send a drone and drop a bomb. Oh, oh crazy. The, yeah. uh, the, there, there was a predator drone team at Overland Expo that, or at least a couple of them, uh, that were there. Uh, they were fans of the channel, and they gave me one of their patches. Nice. And I guess they have they have like the most confirmed kills of any of the Predator drone. Wow. Teams. And I was like, wow, that's. They're rolling around in a team. They there there was like two of them. Oh okay. Yeah. That's awesome. That were just that were just out. There. Yeah, I met some rad people. Yeah, another guy that uh, works on kind of purchasing and developing uh, land vehicles for the Air Force. Mm-hmm. Another cool guy. A lot of cool guys at Expo, actually. So, kinda... so many cool, like, little innovative companies. I, well, I can't remember the name of the company, and I apologize, but uh, one of the companies, um, this guy, he basically makes uh, this little water vessel that kind of optimizes. You can regulate the amount of water. The shower uh, one? Yeah, the little shower one. Did yeah, you see that? I saw that. It was the geyser, the geyser systems. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was cool because it's... You know, it's innovative in that you could regulate the amount of water that's applied because the end of the hose is like a sponge. Mm -hmm. And then so you could slow trickle instead of just dumping water on you. 
I thought it was pretty creative, man. And there's, you're, you're right. Overland Expo has some creative stuff that it's weird because it fits into the survival preparedness genre just as well. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's right down here in my, my alley, kind of. Yeah. And we've been talking for a long time, I think. I'm smoked, dude. Yeah. I'm about to pass out. Yeah. We got another big day tomorrow. I got to yeah. drive home 12 hours. Yeah. That was an hour. We did an hour solid. Hour. I mean, I could I could talk for another hour, but I know these Let's things not. don't usually go for an hour for you, I think. They're usually a little shorter. No, no, no. They go for... We've huh. been doing two-hour ones. Two-hour ones? All right. Let's keep going. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Don't listen to that. Cool. Um, um, yeah, man. Well, dude... This is awesome, man. It's a good opportunity to, to link up with you because you're here, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we have to plan for some more stuff in the future. I know, you know, we've been talking about different projects and stuff, but we definitely need to get together on some stuff. We're going to do it, man. 2019 is the year. It is. Plus if, we, uh, yeah. if we don't get wiped out by something first. EMP is the future of c- catastrophes. If, you, if we get hit with an EMP, that would be a bad day. It'd be a bad day. We gotta fit. We gotta get a plan in a place where we can we can figure out how to link up, expand our tribe of the survivalism. Network. We have to have a network. Yeah. I want an app, but that defeats the purpose. Mm. Just get an app. You you get the social network, and then everything collapses. You're like, damn it. Yeah, man. You gotta get your ham license. Mm. I have to do that. That's pretty cool that you got your ham license. I looked into it, but I'm just too busy now. But I will do that. It's yeah. on my bucket list. And then we can ham each other. I'm all about hamming. Yeah. You'd be my ham slice. Yeah, yeah. Code word or my uh, hammy. call sign ha- hammy. Ham boy. I like that. Yeah. Ham bone. <laughs> I want to be ham bone. All right. Oh, man. All right, man. So, hey, how do people get in contact with you and see your all the good stuff that you got going on? Yeah, man. So, you, you could just, go, you could literally just Google last line of defense and I'll be all the, all the early results. But I'm uh, on Instagram, last line of defense, all one word. YouTube, just search last line of defense. And then my website is... Uh, L-L-O-D.us. L-L-O-D.us. Mike Pfeiffer, it was great. Kamsamida. Kamsamida. You're supposed to say Chemineo. Chemineo. Oh, yeah. Anyaseo. Anyaseo. All right, guys, that's it for the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for watching, and I look forward to the next one if you invite me back. Always, man. Always. You're always invited. All right, guys, hey, uh, thank you for tuning in the podcast, philcraftsrival.com. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, we might run Expo, the coupon code on philcraftmobility.com. Use it to save 15%. If not, it's not available. Uh, I hope you guys have a good one, man. And yeah, until next time, stay alert. Stay alive.